We're on a five-week series called God's Gift to Us. We've been going through uh, what they call the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is with his disciples. It's found in John chapter 13 through 16. In this Upper Room Discourse, it's Jesus' last words before he goes to the cross. In fact, within 24 hours, he's going to the cross. So during this discourse, you're definitely going to get uh, the heart of Jesus. Uh, you're going to get the mind of Jesus. You're going to get the passion of Jesus in the conversation that he gives to his disciples. Um, it's going to be very personal. It's going to be the source that's going to give them strength to endure, the source um, that is going to, the last words, that's going to um, send them on the way after Jesus uh, goes to the cross. So we can look at the Upper Room Discourse, and, and we can see the conversation that he's having with his disciples, and most definitely take it um, as our own, because as it's given to the disciples, it's also given to us. Within this upper room discourse, there's some gifts, five gifts in particular, that are given to the disciples to persevere through life and to make it through the challenges um, that they face, and that is what we're working through is those five gifts. Chapter 14, he starts out that I'm going to prepare a home for you. The first gift that we talked about a couple weeks ago is uh, God's left to prepare a home for us, and we have hope for that home. And by carrying that hope, we'll be able to make it through the situations that we face every day. Also, a personal relationship is another gift. The Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week, is another gift that he offers. And then in John 14, we got the fourth gift, and the next week we'll do the fifth gift. But the fourth gift is peace. Number one, Jesus has given us the gift of peace. The passage is in your bulletin, and you notice it's uh, pretty short. And the reason why it's pretty short is because it's pretty rich. In fact, as I was working on this passage, I'm like, I just want to break it up in two different sermons because they give two different meaty statements in this single verse. But I resisted the temptation. So I'm going to caution you, you're going to get a lot of information today as we give you these two different sermons just off this verse. Let's read the verse and let's discuss it. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. We are a people. It's all about peace. Peace is on our mind, and it's consistently on our mind. We want peace of heart. We want peace of emotion. We want our peace of soul. And we also want the world to have peace. And we make those statements in our mind. We also make those statements out loud. Peace to the world. Peace to us. Peace if we can just have it. It'll be good. Why? Because it's on the forefront of our mind and it's a desire that we all have. Peace is also on the forefront of God's mind. In fact, if you look in the Bible, God the Father is called the God of peace in Hebrews chapter 13. The Son of God is called the Prince of Peace and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Peace. So it's heavy on God's mind. It's extremely heavy on our mind. We all want it. We all need it. We all desire it. And do we have it? I just want to give you a little bit of statistics. This is driving our hearts and minds, ours and God's included. Um, and this is just kind of a rough statistics because you can't get exactly. But uh, statistics, in the last 3,500 years, the world has only seen 300 years of peace. That's just general. 3,500 years. Only 300 years of peace. Now we have in the upper room discourse, Jesus come and say, I am going to leave my peace, and I'm going to give you peace. Does this contradict this statement? Are these wrong? Last 5,500 years, the existence of mankind, 8,000 peace treaties have been broken. 
Just roughly 14,000 wars have been fought with a combination of 4 billion casualties taking place. So here we have Jesus, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, passionate about it, we're passionate about it, we all want it, this is all needs to be there, and then Jesus makes a statement, I'm going to leave my peace and I'm going to give my peace in this, but uh, we question, what's going on? What has taken place? What we really need to question is, what does God mean when he talks about, I'm going to leave my peace and I'm going to give my peace? So let's go back to the beginning, the foundation of peace. Number two, this is foundational. There is no peace because the human race is at war with God, and as long as we are at war with God, we will be at war with each other. Just looking at this foundation and working off of this foundation, we definitely need to go clear back to the garden. In the garden, Adam sinned, and when he sinned, what did he do? He made friends with the devil. He uh, chose the devil over God. You are my friend, and obviously God's like, what's going on? What's taking place? There is a separation of relationship. He made friends with the devil. He made friends with his flesh, and he made friends with the world. And if you look through the Word of God, all those are enemies to God. All those are enemies to God. So let's read the passage. And as we read this passage in Genesis, uh, let's look and see what's taking place as sin entered into our flesh and entered into the human race. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, God, this is after they picked the fruit, God, as they were walking in the garden the cool of day, and they did what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? Do you think God knew where they were? (laughs) God knew where they were, but they didn't know where they were. And God's asking that question, thinking, where are you to get them to think? He answered, I heard you in the garden. This is Adam. And I was what? I was afraid. I had fear. Because I was what? Naked. I was consumed with guilt. So I hid under my shame. Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So let's just break this down a little bit. After sin took place, mankind was consumed with what? Fear, guilt, shame, and she did it. (laughs) Not me. Fear, guilt, shame, and she did it. Not me. Can we survive with fear, guilt, and shame? As soon as fear, guilt, and shame takes place, what takes place in us? We automatically lash out. We automatically lash out. We do not only see it here in Genesis, we see it in the next story in Cain and Abel. Fear, guilt, and shame took place because Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. So what did he do? (laughs) It's not my fault. It's not between you and me. He kills his brother, Abel. It's just an automatic lash out that took place. I'm putting concrete in my barn, and as I'm putting concrete in my barn, I got it all prepped and put a whole bunch of rocks in it. And as I put a bunch of rocks in it, it looked really, really clean. You know, I cleaned it out, and he had these beautiful, nice rocks. But the water was there, and sure enough, the cows kept on coming in, and then they started pooping all over my rocks. And uh, the next uh, week, I went in there to put the forms in. And so I'm like, oh, boy, this is a landmine, but I'll be able to get around it. So I sure enough put my forms around, and uh, I was sitting on the ground putting the forms in, and I put my hand in in uh, one of those cow pies. It was one of those where your hand disappears, you know, <laughs> you know, where you only see the wrist. And, and when you do, what do you do? You definitely react, and you throw your hand up, and it flies everywhere. 
and you don't know where to wash it off, so you just go right to the cow trough and start washing your hand in the cow trough, And because uh, I wasn't going to bring it into the house. It definitely would have been kicked out of the house, but it was on me, and I wanted it off. How did I get it off? See, what takes place is that shame, fear, guilt is on me, and I want it off. And the way that I get it off is it's not my fault, it is yours. It's not my fault, it is yours. You just get it off you as fast as you possibly can. The only way to prove that you are okay, because we're not okay when we have sin, the only way to prove you're okay is to (laughs) throw you under the bus. Because when I throw you under the bus, what happens? Oh, good, I'm, I'm all right. It actually makes me feel better about myself. And this is our reaction. This is what takes place. So you look at guilt, and just looking at guilt, we, we feel it, and when we feel it, guilt is a fuel to what? A fuel to anger, a fuel to gossip, a fuel to slander, a fuel to hate. We, to, to hate. we are not okay, and because we're not okay, what do we do? We lash out on people. We tear people down for the purpose of making us feel okay. Why would we do that in any other reason? Is because deep down inside our soul, we don't feel that. We're shame. What is it? A fuel of depression, a fuel of oppression, a fuel of isolation. It's a fuel of anxiety that has taken place in our life as a result of sin being swallowed and sin being in our nature. Fear. We're afraid. Afraid of what? Failure. That's what happens. We're driven by pride. Why? Because we want to be okay. We're driven by success. We're driven by a passion that will take us to all heights where we will ruin people to get somewhere just because we want to be somebody because we, inside our nature, feel like we're not. Fear fuels power. Fear fuels obsession. Fear fuels violence. Fear fuels jealousy. And as long as we have these in our system, we will consistently be pushing out to others. Letter A, as long as we believe we are at war with God, we will be at war with each other. Just to give you um, an example of what I'm talking about, just kind of, it gives a, a, a picture. Um, if somebody is in a relationship, husband and wife relationship, and an affair takes place, uh, when an affair takes place, the survival of the marriage is very, very difficult. And the reason why it's difficult, because if the affair is taking place in hiding There is a hate, there's an anger, and there's a frustration to who? The innocent party, the person that's not committing the affair. Why is that taking place? It's because that person who's innocent is named guilt. It puts guilt on you. It puts shame on you. Therefore, the lashing out takes place there. That has to be gone, so the lashing out does not take place. Well, here's Jesus. Jesus wants complete peace, but it doesn't start with the outside, it starts from the individual on the inside. And if the individual finds that peace, finds that rest, finds the freedom from the guilt that entangles them that I am not okay, and the shame that I am lost, broken, I need to prove myself, and the fear that I've got to be somebody because I feel like I'm not, if that can be resolved, then we can start having a relationship with others. So Jesus comes And he makes those two powerful statements. The first statement, of course, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Number three, Jesus leaves his peace. He does two things, and this is the two different sermons. He first leaves peace, and then he's going to give peace. 
Let's look at this compared to uh, going back to Genesis, and then I want to look at the verse compared to Genesis that takes place. Genesis 3, I just want to repeat a little bit. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so he did what? He hid. Now look at the verse that he says to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. What is taking place? What has taken place is tomorrow, Jesus is saying, I am going to the cross. I am going to the cross. And our relationship will be whole, our relationship will be complete, and our relationship will be true. And when that takes place, you can have peace with God, and this is the peace that I'm leaving with you. This is the peace that I'm leaving with you. Are you going to take it, or are you not going to take it? Because all peace starts first with having peace with God. Colossians 1, 19 says, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through what? Through his blood shed on the cross. Romans 5, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is the bedrock on which all other peace is based on because it is what heals or gives us an answer to our soul that we can be what? Washed clean and true, have a true relationship with Jesus. If there's no peace with God, then there cannot be any real peace in this world. Why? Because as soon as peace was broken with God, we're starving for it and we're hungry for it and we'll go to every method to find it. But the source we're looking at is really peace with God. Letter A, making peace with God is a source that empowers you to have peace with others. Then we see the entire foundation. God says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to raise again, and you can have peace with me. And then all the way through the Bible, through the New Testament, he starts to speak this way. Forgive. Why? Because you have been forgiven. See, the challenge is I will make peace with you where you can gain your, your shame and your guilt and your, your fear can be gone. And now, you don't have to lash out. Forgive. Why? Because you have a source to forgive. You have been forgiven. Give me a reason why somebody should forgive if there was no God that forgave you. If somebody did you wrong and you had to pay the price, and forgiveness is continuing to pay the price for that person that did you wrong, what's the purpose? What's the reason? What's the drive? Why would you want to forgive if there is no reason to forgive? But you get the words that... God made peace with you, God forgave you, therefore, what? Forgive others. Love those that you don't really want to love, but you've been loved when you shouldn't have been loved. Do you see that peace that takes place with God? Therefore, you should love others that don't, you, you don't feel like loving. All the way through, give because it has been given to you. Serve because it's served you, um, because Christ has served you. Do not judge because Christ is not judging you. See, Jesus wants peace in your home. He wants peace in your relationship. He wants peace in your job. He wants peace everywhere you walk. And the start of peace is embracing him, restoring the relationship with him so peace can flow out of you in every single situation that you're in. But if we choose to skip apart and say, I'm just going to have peace in my job, I'm going to have peace in my home, well, you don't have peace in your heart. If you don't have peace in your heart, Peace in your job, peace in your home is very difficult. When Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Peace I leave with you, 
can be rephrased to salvation, I leave with you. Our relationship can be completely restored. I'll wash the shame. I'll wash the guilt. I'll wash the fear that is designed to destroy you. We will bring a relationship, work together, so you can bring peace to this world that you live in and in your situation. So peace I leave. The next peace we're talking about is peace that I give. Number four, Jesus gives his peace, but not as the world gives peace. There are two ways to receive peace. Remember, we all want it, and there is two platforms to get it. Um, in other words, you can go over to this side, and the world has something to offer. It has a nice chocolate cake that all you have to do is eat it, and it has to offer it. It says, you want peace? This is what you need to do. You go to the other side, and it's like, okay, God gives peace, and this is the way he does it. But if he makes a statement, I give you peace, but not as the world gives, they're probably going to work in opposition of each other. So here we are striving for peace, and if there was no Bible, we would not know how to get it. But praise God, there is a Bible, so what can we do? Look and say, God, give me the information on how I can find peace in this world when I don't have peace. Because if we're not going to go to him for the source, we're definitely going to go to the world. John 14 just read it again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives. Well, how does God give to us, and how does the world give? Let's look at letter A. Christ's peace comes not in seeking comfort, but in loving truth. All want peace. It's already been stated. And since we all want peace, what are we going to do? We're going to do every source that we can find to get it. One way we think, well, you know, if I had all the money that I really need, I'd be comfortable, and if I get comfortable, then peace can take place in my life. A big home, lots of money, lots of vacation. If I can do absolutely make my life comfortable, then peace will come my direction. Let me tell you a, a little secret. Don't tell anybody, but a uh, um, little secret. We are people that cannot be comfortable. We are people that cannot be comfortable. Just to rephrase that. If there is no war, we'll start one. Let me just give you a couple of different examples. King David. King David was a man that he did not do anything wrong whatsoever and through the whole book of 1 Samuel. He was on the run and he went to battle and God was right next to him, moving, 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 moving. And, I mean, he was a seamless life that took place. And then all of a sudden as he is consistently going through life, consistently going to battle, consistently on the move, he says, ah, you guys go to war, and then I'm going to relax. I'm going to find comfort back in my home. So what does he do? He goes and finds comfort in his home. This is the comfort that should be able to make him relax. And what happens? He sees a woman bathing down below his palace. And when he sees a woman bathing down below his palace, he, it was Bathsheba, he orders people to go down and bring that woman to her and as we know the story, he commits adultery. And then after he commits adultery, do you know what you see? You see drama and drama and drama and drama and drama and drama. See, David was not created to relax. He cannot find all this comfort. And as he's looking for this comfort, seeking for this comfort, it's like, well, I'm going to find drama if this is taking place. And sure, what does he bring? He brings it in. Why? Because comfort did not satisfy. There had to be some other level of comfort after he gets comfortable. This is the same way with a, an individual I used to go rafting with. 
I went raft with him, met him for the first time, and he worked for a pharmaceutical company in California, and, and uh, he planned out his whole life. He said, when I was 20 years old, I bought a house in Gold Beach. I said, I'm going to retire this, in this place. I actually bought a land in Gold Beach. I'm going to retire. And 20 years, he worked in California, and then he built his castle, and he came home, and he retired. First year, he says, boy, it's been great, an amazing year. Next year, he says, yeah, it's been good. It's kind of getting a little boring. The next year, he says, yeah, I'm working. Oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm chopping wood, you know, for a resort and, and, uh, and waiting, busting tables and those things because I just have to keep busy. Then the next year, is like my whole life has fallen apart. My wife uh, had an affair. She wants to leave me. My whole house is gone. My property is gone. Everything starts to take place. See, well, as soon as we get comfort, it doesn't give us what we want. And then we've got to have something that we should not have. If we don't have drama in our life, it seems like we end up, well, this is not satisfying, we end up creating it. We look at the news and we see that we're a divided government. The parties are, are two different areas. You've got the Republicans, you've got the Democrats, and all that's taking place is massive fighting, all the way from the states, you know, all the way to, um, to individual states, as we can see in Oregon right now, and then also the country of the United States as well taking place. So you look at that and say, is there any hope for um, our government to ever get put back together? I don't even want to say this out loud, but if you look at history and you observe history, when we go to war with others, the country unites. But when there's peace, what takes place? We go at war with each other. And you look at September 11th, you hear the words of George Bush and says, we are one mind, we are one heart, we have been under attack, and you see a unified country embraced. Why? Because we're going over here, but when over here is not taking place, it seems like we, we, this thing happens here. There's trouble in the world, and there will always be trouble in the world. And it seems like if we could ever get to the point where we can get rid of all trouble, we start looking for things that we cannot have. Why? Because we are finding out that comfort does not give us peace. And as soon as we have comfort, peace is not there. So there's got to be something else. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is a way to have peace. It's not in the area of comfort. It is in the area of what? Truth. It's in the area of truth. You can be walking with no comfort, but holding on to truth is what's going to fill you with peace. What kind of truth are you talking about? According to this verse, take peace. I have overcome the world. Hang on to that truth. No matter what your situation is, no matter what your circumstance is, Comfort doesn't give you the answer. This gives you the answer. There's a truth that gives you an answer. I, talking about God, has overcome the world all the way through the Bible. All things work together for good to what? Those who love the Lord. When we go through situations, what do you do? You hold on to truth. Not try to even manage truth to get rid, or not manage truth, but manage all situations to get comfort, but hold on to the truth that comes from the Word of God. This is the source of, that Jesus is referring to, it says, I will give you peace if you come to me. You're more than conquerors through those who love me. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor principalities nor nothing else can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What is that? That is truth with a massive amount of comfort. That is the direction God's call and say, I leave with you truth. 
but I also give you truth, and it's under, or I also give you peace, and it's under the line of comfort. Letter B, not comfort, under the line of truth, not comfort. Letter B, Christ's peace comes not in seeing less of reality, but in seeing more of reality. Again, we have two different peace. The world offers you peace here. God offers you peace here. This statement is saying, well, the world is saying, if you want peace, you just need to see less of reality. If you just didn't see all the things that are going on, you'll be okay and find peace. And God's saying, I'm not going to give you less reality. I'm going to give you more of reality. I want to look at this passage again. As we look at this passage, I want you to notice the verse that is directly above it. It's going to talk about what we talked about last week, which is the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this verse. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and, and will remind you everything. I have said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. See what's taking place? It's the Holy Spirit has a huge connection with peace. I want you to read another passage that talks about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do those two go together? <laughs> do those two really go together? Why is wine and the Holy Spirit both in one sentence, according to Paul in the Ephesians passage? Uh, well, if you look at wine, we just want to break it down. What does wine do? It depresses the brain and shows you less of reality. It actually removes you from, you remove your mind more from the world and makes it a more narrowed mind that shows you less. And what does it give you? It gives you peace. And the world offers it to you. If I can just shut my life out and have less reality, I can find peace. There's also another method, drugs. Drugs don't show less of reality. Drugs even take you beyond your reality. So if you're struggling in your marriage, uh, the world has something to offer you. Don't write notes. But the world has something to offer you. Close your mind. Go to something else that will get your mind out of your situation. Go to something else that will condense your thoughts through the situation. If your marriage is on the rocks, close your mind to this. Hang on to this, and things will be taken care of. And of course, it it's a lie because then you ruin everything in the process. So even the process of suffering with cancer, suffering with illness, suffering with sickness, as these things start taking place, what do we want to do? We want to narrow, the world wants to narrow our mind to reality. Let's just not understand what is really taking place. Let's try to separate ourselves from this area. That's what the world offers you when it comes to peace. Uh, Holy Spirit offers you something, uh, something else. The Holy Spirit wants you to have a higher level of mental functioning. So instead of narrowing your mind to reality, the Holy Spirit wants you to look at your situation in the broad perspective of entire reality. So you can see absolutely everything that has taken place. He wants you to see more. He wants you to see beyond he wants you to even go further into eternity, even than your situation. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Don't condense, but open up your mind so you can see a picture from God. So if you are struggling with cancer, if you are struggling with your marriage, in going through this situation, you can find peace in it by going to God and say, God, open up my mind of what I need to do of where this is going and what can take place and my thoughts of my mates. Open up my mind in the situation. That's where we find our peace. Because when we look at the situation in God's perspective, it is then that peace comes. 
Let her see the two forms of peace. Peace comes not in emptying the mind, but also in filling it. Again, you go to the world. The world says, if you can just get everything out of your mind, then you will be able to have peace. So in other words, just meditate. And the world's method of meditation is release everything from your mind. And if you can release everything in your mind, peace will come to you. There's only one problem with that, is that after you release everything from your mind and you go to work the next day, guess what shows up? The world you live in. And it shows up. And as soon as it shows up, what takes place is that more frustration starts to come because I need peace. So what do we do? You push the world away because it's a threat more than anything else. So you push the world away, and as you push the world away, what takes place? Anger, frustration, anxiety. I just need words of isolation. I just need to get away. And anger actually burns inside of you because you try to empty your mind to find the source of peace, and you think that's the source. The world offers that, offers it in many different situations. Just empty your mind. God gives you an opposite one of peace. He says, don't empty your mind. Fill your mind if you want peace. In fact, pack your mind if you want peace. In fact, shove everything you possibly can of the Word of God and God Himself in your mind. And as a result, peace will take place. Grace. First, uh, Second Peter 1, 2 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. How does it come in abundance, grace and peace? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus the Lord. The Bible talks about this word meditation. And what is meditation? Meditation is shoving your mind so full of the Word of God and shoving your mind so full of the Bible and that gospel, and as a result of shoving your mind so full of it, what takes place? Anxiety? No. Peace takes place. Don't empty your mind. Fill your mind if you want peace. Letter D, Christ's peace comes not by the absence of conflict, but by working with God through conflict. I want to look at two different people in the Bible very briefly. Solomon, he was in an era, a time, where there was peace. And he also had an extreme amount of wisdom, extreme amount of power. He had wealth. He had just about everything he wanted. And he had peace at his disposal. And what I mean by that is if you threaten Solomon, he was a king, and what can he do? Yeah, I just, I'll just kill you. <laughs> I need peace. Just, just wipe you out. Peace was his, and he had the power to make sure that peace took place um, in his life. And of course, hundreds, a thousand wives, concubines, all the things he just completely filled his life with for this purpose. He said a statement in Ecclesiastes that uh, is the book of Ecclesiastes. It said this, I hated life. Solomon says, I hated life. Wait a second, this guy had comfort, this guy had peace at his disposal, this guy had all the wealth in the world, he had absolutely everything he wanted. And he says the word, I hated life in Ecclesiastes 3. I'll tell you about another person named Paul. Paul was beaten, tortured, stoned, shipwrecked. This guy was absolutely probably the worst life he can possibly ever imagine. And what did he say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a person who loved life. So you see the two different lives. What was the difference in two different lives? There's a person that walked with God, with God, Paul, and a person who walked away from God. See, peace doesn't come in our situations. Peace literally comes within our relationship with God. Jeremiah twelve five says, If you have run with footmen and they have tired you, then how can you compete with horses? 
If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? The thicket of the Jordan. What is the thicket of the Jordan? We just went to Israel, didn't we, Linda? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, we went to Israel. The Jordan River comes down. What happens in the Jordan River? You've got Israel on one side, and you have something else on the other side. You have the country of Jordan. Now, it is the only water source that comes from that continent even to this continent. So what takes place is everybody goes to the Jordan to get water. All the animals, all the beasts, all the nations, they come to the Jordan to, what, get water. Well, if you've got two different, I'm sorry, it's not continents, it's countries. If you've got two different countries that are at war with each other, and the Jordan is the water source, where do they meet? They meet in the thicket of the Jordan. So they walk down there. They just don't walk standing up. They crawl down there and making sure the people next to them don't shoot them. And they grab a hold of the water and then they bring it back to their camp. And two years ago, three years ago when I went to Israel, there's a place where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And sure enough, we were taking pictures. And as we were taking pictures of us baptizing, there's people from the Jordan, uh, from the country of Jordan, that had machine guns behind us. So it's still taking place where that Jordan in the thicket of the Jordan is a place of extreme hostility, extremely rough hostility, where all the beasts, all the people get their water source. This verse is literally saying, if you go down to the Jordan, or even if you live into the thicket of the Jordan, do you know what? You're going to be okay, as long as God is with you. However, if you live on a palace and God is not with you, you're not going to be okay. A land of peace with, without God is terror, and the jungle of the Jordan with God is literally peace. Because peace does not come from the situation, peace comes from the relationship with God or without. Number five, to take Christ's peace, trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's talking about, that he is in control, and that his interest is you. My peace I leave. These are words of Jesus. My peace I leave. What should you do with that? Well, this is the challenge. Take it. (laughs) Take it. We are people that are not okay, and we know we're not okay, but in Christ, we can be set free from the sin that entangles us. Take his peace. He went to the cross. He paid the price. He rose again. He's alive. Take my peace. Find salvation. And then after you take it, he says, I give it. What are you supposed to do with that? Live for his peace. Live for his peace. The world is going to offer you peace, and God's going to offer you peace. We just got to find which one, according to the Bible, which one is going to give it to you. Well, God's going to hand it to you. Why? Because he wants peace in your family. He wants peace in your relationships. He wants peace in the country, and he wants peace in the world. But it doesn't start with all them. It actually starts right here with, within our own heart because this is the thing that is restless. And the first step is to calm the restlessness down so we cannot be, won't be restless with each other. Take his peace. Live for his peace. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we have all the words again. The Holy Spirit, you have peace, you have joy, and then you have what? Him in the center of it. Trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. So we can ask ourselves the question, do we trust that he knows what he's doing? 
Father, we just thank you, God, for doing all the work. God, you went to the cross to restore a relationship with us. We are incapable of storing a relationship with you, God, without you doing all the work. And today, God, we thank you, God, for that gift, the gift of salvation, the gift where we can be free from literally ourselves, the shame, the guilt, and the fear that absolutely destroys us. Thank you that we can be free, God, to love others like you have loved us. God, you again have done all the work and have given us all this, and I just pray that we will completely take advantage of it, not neglect it, not run from it, and not put it out of our life, but hold on to it with great Uh, with a great grip, God, that will never slow our hearts down. We love you so much. In Christ's name, amen.